Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Especially in red districts where we're so far behind already, um, a loss is not a bad thing. It's uh, letting voters and other supporters know we're here and we're not going anywhere. This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We are so excited to be here today. We're going to catch up on some news stories and share our interview with the team at Swing Left later in the episode. But before we get started, we wanted to remind everyone to send us your stories of opening your business, dealing with the PPP, 
Whatever experiences y'all are having as small business owners, we want to hear. We've had such good community reaction to our episodes where we're sharing your voices, your kids' voices, and we thought sharing voices on the ground, reopening their businesses, dealing with this economic change would be the next great piece in that series. So send your voice memos to hello at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Try to keep them short, two minutes or less. And we hope to share that episode soon. Now, look, I know that social media is not everyone's cup of tea. It is often not mine. But we have started doing something that is so much fun on our Instagram account, and we don't want anybody to miss it. So on Tuesdays, we sit down with one of our kids to do the news brief. And our kids have really taken that over. It's very interesting to see what they want to talk about. So you can either catch Sarah with her boys or me with my girls on Tuesdays. In addition to Sarah's excellent news brief every day of the week, on Fridays, our kids take over and do a little news quiz. And you can actually follow along in our stories and take the quiz. And people's reaction has just been lovely. And it's a lot of fun. And it really seems to be a helpful way to share at least how we discuss politics with our children in our houses. So Pantsuit Politics on Instagram, we really don't want you to miss out. Mother Nature does not seem to respect the fact that we are going through a global pandemic. Poor Michigan experienced massive flooding that led to two dam breaks, and we had cyclones in India and Bangladesh. And as you can imagine, evacuating people while also trying to keep social distance and some quarantine measures in place is it's more it's it's more than people can handle. It's too much to ask. It's way too much to ask. We are seriously thinking about the people who are dealing with natural disasters in addition to the pandemic right now and sending lots of love. We are also thinking of the people of Hong Kong because consistent with China's activity in the South China Sea and other parts of the world, the pandemic seems to be an opportunity for the Chinese Communist Party to tighten its grip. And we have learned today that the Communist Party has instituted sweeping new laws by fiat. They've just bypassed Hong Kong's legislature. Mm -hmm. So if you don't remember our episodes on Hong Kong during the protests, which really only subsided because of the COVID-19 pandemic, Hong Kong exists under this one country, two systems principle. And there's a long history of that. But Hong Kong has had a serious amount of autonomy historically. And that autonomy has been pulled back and pulled back and pulled back by China. And there's really been concern for a while that China's intention is to pull Hong Kong back in closer to just be essentially part of mainland China. And these new laws, which are being characterized as national security laws, criminalize any secessionist activities. So people who are looking for Hong Kong to separate from China, subversion of state power and foreign interference. And those are the kinds of umbrella terms that can be used and abused um, in really broad ways. This has been a stunning development for people who know this part of the world well. In recent months, this is according to The Washington Post, Beijing has installed a new representative in Hong Kong who is calling for patriotic education to instill more allegiance to China and who has promoted a bill that would criminalize disrespecting China's national anthem. So things are really tightening there, and this could lead to a huge escalation among people who want a democratic, autonomous Hong Kong and people who are more loyal to mainland China. I think it's what we've been talking about here 
quite a bit recently, which is COVID-19 just reveals problems or accelerates problems. It doesn't create them. And this is just another example. Like, I think that the intensity of this current crisis just dials up the intensity on every other crisis that people around the world were dealing with. And so I don't think that the people of Hong Kong opposed to the presence or increased presence of the Chinese Communist Party are going to let the current global pandemic slow them down. I'll be honest. I think that they've shown that this is really, really important to them, and they'll find a way to protest and make their voices heard. And I hope it has an impact. I think what's so difficult right now is that, you know, who on the world stage could help broker this conversation peacefully? If there is an escalation, you have every country fighting so many challenges on so many fronts that it's hard to imagine who could really come in to apply outside leverage to this situation. So we'll continue to follow this and keep you apprised of these developments. Speaking of people taking <laughs> taking their moment, we have some really disturbing developments in Georgia. For those of you who haven't been following this closely, there was a state Supreme Court justice who resigned before the end of his term. And the secretary of state and the governor of Georgia, who has his own accusations against him of election fraud and voter suppression, um, canceled the special election to fill that seat. And the Georgia Supreme Court upheld a challenge against that cancellation which basically says the person he appointed to fill this seat gets to serve for two more years and that the state law allows for that. Now, Beth, I know you did a deep dive of this on Patreon, and you don't, in fact, think that this is what the law says. I agreed with the dissent in this case. So this is really interesting because the justice's term ended on December 31st. He indicated his intention to resign on November 18th. So there's plenty of time to have an election for this seat. Georgia's Constitution has two separate provisions. One of them talks about how we elect our Supreme Court judges in Georgia. And just as an aside, I feel like I always have to say electing judges is dumb. But that is what the Georgia Constitution says is going to happen. The people are to elect their justices and they elect them to six-year terms. There is another provision in the Constitution that talks about any kind of vacancy of an office that is typically elected and how the governor appoints someone to fill that vacancy and what the timing is for someone who's been appointed to remain in their position before they have to go on the ballot to keep the seat. And in practical terms, this has meant that for the past 35 years in Georgia, 18 judges have served on the Supreme Court. Only one of those judges was elected first. What? They have all been appointed and then won re-election <gasps> because, of course, they have. What an what an advantage to be an incumbent yeah. who never had to win an election. Yep. We'd, it is a yep. running start mm -hmm. for people who are politically connected. Yeah, because then you have judge next to your name, too. Right. And you have been in the news, presumably, and people know who you are. And judicial elections are hard to get people to vote in anyway. So, of course, they're going to take the incumbent. And so it, this is not new even though it is particularly blatant this time because the the current judge whose term was ending so the current judge this was not a, a special election in the sense of like we're we're doing this for um an an off cycle purpose this judge's 6 year term was ending 
in December. And so the election was scheduled. He indicated his intention not to run again. Two people at least decided they were going to run for that office. That's how it ended up in court. And then in February, the judge tells the governor he's going to resign the seat early. And the governor says, cool, I get to appoint someone then. And so the Supreme Court of Georgia, sort of, because what happened is that five of the justices had to recuse themselves, and probably the other three should have too. And so mm-hmm. lower court judges were randomly selected to sit on the Supreme Court for this case. The court concluded that you have to read these two provisions together, and it basically gives Georgia a dual track way to get on the Supreme Court. Jeez. And they said, you know, no big deal. That's happened to lots of people. That's happened to most of us in recent history. We all cheated this way. And the Georgia voters ratified this constitution, and so they've signed on for it. And if they don't like it, then they can make a constitutional amendment. And I agreed with the dissent in this case, which said, appointed positions are constitutionally inferior. It is a constitutionally inferior way to get on the court. Mm -hmm. That is supposed to be a provision for emergencies. It is not supposed to be the new normal. We have six months for the people to speak on who they want to be their next Supreme Court justice. It makes no sense to me to say that the person the governor appoints to this position is superior to the choice of the voters. And so I, I really found the dissent persuasive here. But look, this is indicative of a much larger problem than this one election. Um, And and it is indicative of a whole host of issues in the state of Georgia. And fortunately, there are good organizations working on those issues, but they need to get some momentum. I hope that this further catalyzes those organizations. We wanted, before we bring on our friends from Swing Left to talk about their work, to tell you a little bit And I don't even know how to introduce this because I hate the term so much, but we're getting questions about what the president calls Obamagate. In a continuation of our effort to try to help everybody be conversant with people in your lives about politics, no matter where they're getting their news, we thought we would talk a little bit about this subject. I'm going to start on a hopeful note. I bet you weren't expecting that, were you? No, I'm excited. Okay. I was thinking about how much Donald Trump drives me crazy. I swear this is going somewhere helpful. And how he does seem to have had a lot of success, as evidenced by the fact that he's president of the United States, with this with this approach, which is just bombard them, just attack, attack enough it looks like they're doing something wrong. And I don't want to discount that success. It works. It works a lot of the time. And it's definitely what he's doing here. Let's attack. It deflects from my own responsibility with, you know, the fact that today we have numbers showing if we'd social distance even a week earlier, a week earlier, 36,000 lives would have been saved. So he can't, you know, he's been an epic failure at his coronavirus response. They're, they have no plans to do further work to help our economy. So it's just, you know, he he doesn't have any successes to stand on. He often doesn't. So he attacks. And that's what he's doing here. I'll just say it enough. I'll do something outrageous. I'll tell people I'm taking this malaria drug. I'll attack Obama and I'll deflect, I'll deflect, I'll deflect. And I, again, please don't think I'm trying to see this as rose-colored glasses. I think oftentimes it works. 
But I think the the broader impact is that it has created such a deluge that we have like a lesser impact every time. And I think this the it the the punches don't land like they used to, right? And I was thinking about Joe Biden. And I was thinking about all this Ukraine stuff and how hard they worked to make him and Hunter Biden look corrupt and how in another time and place, even if you look at sort of the impact on some of the stuff that happened with the Clintons, like it can really stick. It can stick in a way even if you didn't do anything. But because he's created this cycle that has just such it has such churn and people are so disgusted and frustrated and overwhelmed. Like, I'm not saying it doesn't work with his base, but we've talked about on this podcast before that is that has gotten to a cult like place where it doesn't matter what you say, what facts, what he does. You know, there's just it's very difficult to make an impact with people who feel like everything he does is correct. And so but I think everybody else like it's just it all becomes noise. And so when there's so much of it and it's all noise it it can deflect to a certain to a certain extent for sure and and soak up some of the oxygen in the room but i don't think it lands anymore i don't think it can permanently cripple people the way it used to or the way it did and like with the clintons or and not just with him like even earlier in sort of the the gates when we started you know the travel gate and all when we started, you know, just gating everything. Um, it just doesn't it it lands. There's just too much. Who can pay attention? And especially when he's like purposely vague and, you know, you're talking about a, a past president. So what's even the point? I guess the idea is this will hurt Biden. But he Barack Obama is so popular and his his for lack of a better word, political brand is so strong. And I think the more he keeps lashing and trying to see what will stick, the less impact it has every time. I think what's really unfortunate about the way he discusses the investigation into his campaign and transition team is it makes it almost impossible for all of us to reasonably assess the very hard question of how we should deal with what looks on the surface to be improper communication with another country by an incoming administration or mm-hmm. any kind of concern about how an incoming administration could be compromised. I don't want it to be the new normal that every incoming president gets vetted by the outgoing administration because they think that there's some problem, but that just could be. In a world where disinformation is the new warfare, that just could be. And we need to do that well, and we need to do it carefully. It's important that we use surveillance techniques appropriately, that we are cautious about how we listen to American conversations and leak to the press about those conversations. Certainly, mistakes have been made in this process because there's not a playbook for it. Um, Mm. And it is impossibly difficult. And we can't assess that reasonably 
because every opportunity to assess it is blown instantly into another breadcrumb in this series of conspiracy theories. I thought Molly Roberts at the Washington Post described this so perfectly because we are getting a lot of email like, what is Obamagate? And here's her answer. President Trump's explanation of the supposed scandal last week was basically a lack thereof. You know what the crime is. The crime is very obvious to everybody. Of course, this suggested that the crime was not at all obvious to the commander-in-chief himself, but the episode was only as embarrassing as it was accidentally brilliant. Obama Gate is potent precisely because it is nebulous. The moment you refute the tinfoil-hatted crusaders by explaining what unmasking really is or by noting that a lie is a lie is a lie, Obamagate mutates into some other allegation or theory entirely. This is what it was born to do. It's right there in the name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that the problem is, you're right, you know, the political impact dulls the more he does this. But the impact on the actual policy conversation or facts on the ground or just, I don't know, reality is really, really damaging. It just all gets lost and muddy. And people have enough problems with complexity in real life situations that, you know, muddying the waters further I think that's how you get in conversations where it's like, I just don't trust any politicians or I think they're all bad. And it just drives me insane. You know, because I don't think that anyone cares what the facts are, it to Mm -hmm. me doesn't feel important to go through every fact here. We've spent a lot of time on this podcast following the Mueller investigation. We've both watched hours of hearings and read hundreds of pages of transcripts. I feel very well versed in what happened around the president's um, victory and ascent into office. And I don't think anyone cares what the facts are about that. My ask of someone who talks about something like Obamagate is, okay, so what? What if I assume that you're right about everything? All of this was improperly done. There was just a group of people working relentlessly to try to prevent him from taking office. I'll just, I think none of that is true, but I will go with you and just assume that it is. So what? He became the president. He's done whatever he damn well pleases since he got into office with almost no accountability from Congress. So he won. Can he can we move on? What matters to you now? If we are not constantly fighting about him as the victim, what is important to you in his performance as the president? What could he do that would change your perception of him? You know, I I just don't know what the point of continuing to recycle the 2016 fight is Ooh. from the perspective of the people who spend all their time doing it. Yeah. I mean, how does anybody want to stay there? It was so awful. It was so awful. I mean, but he will stay there until... Honestly, I think there's some alternate reality in which, I don't know, we find a box of three million votes underneath some table in California and he lends the Electoral College. I think that's what it's about. I think more than the FBI investigation, it feeds this idea that, like, I didn't actually win. And if he can prove that all these people were out to get him, then the fact that he didn't actually win the popular vote will lessen sort of the impact on his ego. 
but that's never going to happen. So he's never going to get out of 2016, which means they're never going to get out of 2016. And I guess that's fine, but the world is going to move on, and it has handily delivered us lots of new challenges wholly unrelated to the 2016 election. And I would just like to tackle those. It feels so petty to me that this is where his focus is when the number of challenges, economic and health-wise, are are staggering. They are jaw-dropping. If we had the most competent president in U.S. history right now, this would be impossibly hard. And for him to spend a second of his energy on his own petty grievances, I just think it's indefensible. We were trying to end hopeful. It didn't. I, I Sorry. Tried. Sorry, you did. You did try. <laughs> you did a really excellent job. And I see Thank your you. effort. I just I, I am feeling um, discouraged that anyone finds that acceptable. But I share your hope that fewer and fewer people do all the time. And I think it's really interesting to see the flip in poll numbers among older voters mm-hmm. and how there has been an enormous swing in favorability among older voters for the president. So we'll, you know, we'll just keep keep on keeping on here in the United States. Well, I do think our upcoming conversation with Swing Left is hopeful and will be encouraging for everybody. We recorded this conversation in March 2020. Um, It's really largely about getting Democrats elected because that is Swing Left's principal mission. But some of the things we talk about as far as organizing really apply across the aisle, especially a desire to see women elected. Um, There are some action steps specific to Democrats here, but the conversation has interesting implications. And so I think y'all are really going to enjoy it. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality but not salon-priced manicure, Olive & Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive & Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box. Salon-grade tools. Your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are going to last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive & Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love, though, is that Olive & Jean each season is coming out with new colors, and I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. They say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, 
Regency-era historical fiction and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. Well, we're here. 2016 changed us, and it sounds like 2020 is going to continue the trend. So as we continue to figure out what activism means in the 21st century, we're so glad to have you guys. We're so glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Tell us how you are thinking about 2020, just conceptually. There's a lot going on, really important Senate and House races in addition to the presidential race. So where are you prioritizing your time and energy? That's a great question. Um, And you're absolutely right. We we really want to focus on some of those down-ballot races and not so much on, I mean, obviously we need to focus on the presidential but those uh, local legislatures, especially that affect gerrymandering and Senate races, those pay dividends up the ballot. So uh, at Swing Left, we have our super state strategy, and uh, that's 12 states that have a combination of um, local legislatures, Senate races, and presidential um, importance that will really make an oversized impact on this election. Um, there are states like Arizona, Colorado, Texas, Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, I'm literally reading from a list, Maine, (laughs) North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida, Uh, that's them. And um, a lot of those are your usual suspects that you would see in a presidential year because they do have electoral um, importance. Um, But also, if we can uh, flip some of these state houses and and win back majorities in these terribly gerrymandered um, districts, then we can after the census, when we draw new lines, we can ensure a decade of uh, democratic election wins, hopefully, you know, to come. So what we've learned from 2020 is that it's just not possible to predict what's coming down the pipeline. Mm. But we know regardless of what's coming, um, we do have an election in November. Uh, We need to make sure that happens. And we need to make sure that we get as many people out to vote as we can in that. Um, And so while, 
you know, we have more reasons than ever before to to get rid of of Trump and the Republican-led Senate, um, how we execute that um, really isn't going to change. It's going to come down to voter contact, voter turnout, and showing up when it counts. I think that's a really good way to think about it, is to layer those different state races, local races, and it's like, but it's a pretty complicated... It's an important way to think about it, but it's also really complicated to think through the math of where should we focus resources. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. One name stuck out with me. I'm still not quite sure how the Georgia Senate races are going to work. Can you can you talk us through that a little bit? <laughs> well, I think it's it's super important not to not to get overwhelmed. And here's the thing. For a long time, Republicans have focused on building a deep bench. And if they've been able to do it, and and Georgia is a perfect example of where they've Mm -hmm. been able to do that and where you see them um, putting Republicans in at every level of government. And the outcome of that is, as we saw in the midterms, uh, basically voter suppression when it benefited them. And so Mm -hmm. that's why um, the swing left super state strategy is so smart, because it does focus us on where we can have the most impact. Because you're right, in that if we try to say, okay, I want to help out in all the state legislatures and, and, and focus on gerrymandering and all this stuff, it can get totally overwhelming. So we've pinpointed where you can be most effective in helping build a deep bench for, uh, for Democrats moving forward. Yeah, as you guys said, it, you know, most people don't have the time uh, to do the research on where they're going to make the biggest impact. So that's where organizations like Swing Left have done that. And also, I just want to add, Mariah, you nailed super state strategy is so smart. That was a lot of S's and you didn't balk. So (laughs) hats off to you. How much do you think about future elections as you work on supporting this one? I'm thinking, for example, of Tabitha Eisner, who was a candidate for the House in Alabama last cycle. And she really talked about, you know, in districts that are very gerrymandered or even just historically very deeply red, you run in part to lay a foundation for future Democrats. And you do that without a lot of party support and without a lot of outside money because people just don't think it's winnable. So how much is swing left focused? Focused on that kind of building infrastructure for the future. It's a really great question, and um, and we've seen those uh, the the work that you do on these down ballot races, even in these red states, really building that scaffolding, building strength in the Democratic Party, and um, and we always talk about you know um, running an election and building your power, and not necessarily having the outcome that you would like, still continues to build the foundation, and we saw that. You know, I really think Virginia is a great example of a state that, um, you know, we've just invested in and um, and built that power. And then last year, um, we won back all the legislatures there. So, you know, swing left right now, um, you know, we have obviously, like anyone else, a finite amount of resources and volunteers. We've got a lot. We have over a million volunteers across the country. Um, but we do want to be strategic about where we allocate those resources, Um so, you know, but a lot of our groups may be working in red states and working on some local legislatures or local elections there that aren't necessarily on our map. And that's great. You know, they should totally do that. They should um, invest, especially where they live, you know, in their communities. 
Yeah, it's it's a really important point because my guess is that you have a lot of listeners who are running for office or who are considering running for office. And it's so important to remind people, especially women, that if you're running and, like Steve said, the outcome on Election Day isn't what you wanted, it's it's not a loss. It's uh, building the foundation for moving forward. And so many people step up and run again and run again, and eventually they win, and then they work their way up the pipeline. So especially in red districts where we're so far behind already, um, a loss is not a bad thing. It's uh, letting voters and other supporters know we're here and we're not going anywhere. Yeah, we always say that the election itself is a public service, that the campaign itself is a public service. I know that you guys are spending a lot of time on your podcast profiling activists across the country. And we're wondering, you know, I think everybody needs as much inspiration as possible. Can you tell us like one story that you can't stop thinking about or one approach someone locally took that you're like, oh, my God, it's just a totally new way to do this. And it's having such great impact. God, there's so many. Do you have one that jumps out? <laughs> one, the one that jumps out is uh, a couple episodes ago, uh, uh, Piper Parabo co-hosted with us. Oh, we love her. She came on one of our live shows. That's right. She mentioned you guys and how cool you are. <laughs> she did, yeah. And um, the the way she got connected was that she attended a canvassing training that Steve did <laughs> a couple of years ago before the midterms, and she just was really interested in canvassing and wanted to be an effective canvasser. So she shows up at this training with this binder that she has full of information and, and diligently took notes and has been out ever since, knocking on doors. Um, I think so many, the, the common thread of, of everyone we speak with is that they were so intimidated at first to start knocking on doors or making phone calls. And once they did it, they never stopped. Mm-hmm. Just the perfect example of that. And so her episode is a really fun one to listen to. What I always tell people, I knocked on 5,000 doors for my campaign for city commission in 2016. And it's like the basic components of human happiness, getting outside, moving your body, connecting with other human beings. Like, and the the percentage of people who are rude is so, so, so low when you're face to face. Like, it just, you put them all together. Like, I think that was like one of my peaks in mental health because it just felt so good to be out there doing something every day. It's a really great point. It's really, really true. People get afraid that they're going to have the door slammed in their face or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, face to face people are really nice. It's when you call them on the phone, sometimes they're not so nice, um, yeah. which obviously presents a, a unique challenge for us now as we move into, you know, what our organizing is going to look like with this, uh, you know, uh, virus kicking around. So I like talking to people on the phone. Yeah. Because if you get you get someone who has a little bit of time, it yeah, a really friendly, fun conversation and you learn a little bit about them and then weave that into how you're convincing them. to. That totally agree. That's my experience on the phone. The good is really good and the bad is kind of rude. Like it's not a lot of in between. <laughs> but that good one feels so amazing. It does. I agree. How are you all thinking about social media this year? Oh, I think it's going to be a, a game changer as we as we see how long the social distancing uh, continues um, and, and work to our communities safe. Um, what we're encouraging people to do right now is I, I work with an organization uh, called Sea Change that works on you know local Southern California races, and we're creating content 
for people to copy and paste and share across social media to keep voters informed and engaged. And we'll be doing digital ad rollout. So I think that if there is a winner in all of this, I think Facebook ads will eventually, they've already had an amazing year. Um, It might be the uh, only surefire way we have to reach voters for a little while. Yeah. To add to that, um, actually, the story that I was thinking about that popped to my mind when you asked about some impactful stories was from uh, Jennifer Epps Addison, an interview we did with her. Um, She's the executive director of the Center for Popular Democracy. And she was talking about the micro-targeting that the uh, Republicans and the Trump campaign are doing and the incredibly, you know, huge investment they're doing. Um, She was speaking specifically to uh, her old hometown of Milwaukee and the micro-targeting around young black men um, followed up by calls and door knocks um, saying that Donald Trump is the uh, criminal justice reform president and Democrats just care about, um, in in this messaging's words, uh, illegal aliens, of course, uh, undocumented uh, asylum seekers. So, um, and my answer, my question to her was, are, are they, you know, believing that? And her answer was, yes, they are, you know, because as with everything else, um, these big lies have a certain element of, of truth, kernels of truth to them. So um, we have our hands full. And obviously now that we are social distancing or uh, physically distancing, let's not say social distancing because we need to you know, stay connected with each other. Mm-hmm. It's really important that um, we we get on top of social media and digital organizing because that's, that's what's going to carry us through and we have a lot to combat. What advice would you have for people who are trying to run for office in this climate, especially for one of those races that really builds the pipeline, a school board race or a mayoral race who does not have unlimited resources in terms of either money to run ads or like graphic design ability. You know, how would you encourage them to stay in touch with people and keep some energy around their campaigns? But, you know, phone calls are really important. I think that uh, running digital ads can feel daunting, but it, it, once you work with the back end, you can put a relatively small amount of money, you know, literally $50, you can reach a very targeted audience. And, and this is helpful if you're running a down-ballot race because your, your pool of voters that you need to reach is a little bit smaller. Um, and you can get really granular with Facebook, you know, reaching people within a certain zip code. Um, but, but if that's not if, if that's not your comfort area, then it's time to again start relying on your supporters, your donors, um, to reach out to their networks. I mean, this is this what we're talking about is basically networking. Um, tech companies have just created ways that we can do it a little bit quicker and more effectively with voter files and things like that. But This is where you call on the people who support you from the very beginning and ask them to make a phone call, to do a Facebook post, to send an email on your behalf, and just remind people that democracy cannot suffer because of this pandemic. Something that Sarah talks about a lot on the show that I think is really compelling and important, and I imagine a challenge for you all, is that the Democratic Party is having to be, um, what have you said, Sarah, bigger, not not a tent, it's a 
cruise liner or something. Cruise ship. Yeah. It's um, a cruise liner because we're having everybody that's like, I just don't can't be a Republican anymore to like hardcore progressives. It's a big, big spectrum. So I'm just wondering how you all are navigating that, because I can imagine, especially as you really try to work the map, you have to think strategically and differently across the board about what messages resonate and what types of people need to be out doing that networking. What I really have enjoyed about being with Swing Left and working with them is is um, we don't get involved in primaries. Um, and the great swath of our volunteers uh, are not in these swing states. Um, they're from outside. So uh, we leave it to the voters in those states. We leave it to the campaigns in those states to uh, work on their messaging and to reach those voters. And, uh, and we support whoever the eventual uh, nominee is, whoever makes it through the primaries. And it's been a great way to work because, you know, I mean, I live in Los Angeles. We talk about our double bubble here. You know, my um, progressive uh, views um, may not be the same as another Democrat, you know, um, in another area. And, um, you know, so, you know, we're all about building our power. We all have, you know, on this big uh, cruise ship of Democrats mm-hmm. that you have described, you know, um, I think, you know, we all have the same basic North Star and we agree on, you know, 80 percent of of what we want to do. Uh, it's how we want to get there that we have the disagreements. And those are really healthy disagreements to have. But I'm certainly not going to force my ideas on a on a state that doesn't share that. So, um, you know, it's been great. So, you know, we just point people to where they can make the biggest impact, um, whether you uh, want Medicare for all, or you want to expand the ACA, um, we need a Democrat in office to do both of those things, right? So um, it's it's been a great way for people to kind of be on that happy cruise ship. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if maybe the cruise ship analogy plays so well right now, but uh, <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, exactly. All, at least all be together and play together and work together and be effective, build our collective power without getting into the um, ideological uh, arguments. That's great. Well, thank you all so much for joining us and for the work that you're doing. Thank you so thank much you. For, for your work. And, and I appreciate the the message of grace that you guys do on, on every podcast and, and the space that you give to people. It's, mm-hmm. it's really important right now. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off.
there's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Pantsuit Politics. Thank you to the folks at Swing Left for spending time with us. You'll see information in our newsletter and our social media channels soon about an event that we're doing with them very soon. We hope that you'll join us for that. And until we talk with you again on Tuesday, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin and Studio D Production. Elise Knapp is our managing editor. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Tiffany Hasler, Martha Branitsky, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Allie Edwards, Amy Whited, Jared Minson, Allison Luzader, Janice Elliott, Barry Kaufman, and Sarah Ralph. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com, sign up for our weekly emails, and follow us on Instagram.